And we're live. Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. This week, sponsored by Pedego Electric Bikes. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined again by Electrex publisher, Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. I'm in New Orleans, so got to be good. Awesome. So I hope Seth is uh, well-rested because we've got a number of interesting e-bike stories to talk about. Uh, I know he just got in on a late-night flight, but we're going to wake him up with some cool news. we got all sorts of interesting things and some last minute news everything from new e-bikes coming out to some kind of scary financial trouble for van moof um, rad power bikes also has some uh, big european news that isn't necessarily good news um, but we also have some other cool things like uh, turns newest hsd bikes we got a close look at that bmw also launched a new electric motorbike though it's somewhere between kind of a, a motorcycle and a scooter And uh, last but not least, we're going to finish it off with a really interesting new electric skateboard. So a lot of different uh, types of news to cover today. Where are we starting, Seth? Uh, One of my favorite places, uh, these digital drive bikes replace a bicycle chain with software. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, If you've never heard of digital drive, it's basically instead of having a bike chain and a mechanical connection to your rear wheel with a bicycle, the uh, basically the bike pedals go straight into a generator. So there's no mechanical or really even physical connection between the pedals and the rear wheel. Instead, that generator basically takes in the, the energy that you're creating, it converts it into electricity, and it either sends it directly to a motor in the rear wheels, or it sends it to a buffer that's usually a, an electric bike battery, but it could also be a supercapacitor and basically stores that energy to then deliver it whenever you need it in the rear wheel. And it's it's got some interesting advantages, but there are some disadvantages here as well. Uh, one of the big advantages is there are just fewer mechanical parts. You know, anything that has moving components has a chance to go wrong. So when you've got chains, even belts, you know, they're low maintenance, they're lower maintenance than chains, but they're still moving parts, belts can break, that sort of thing. They can get jammed with debris. So removing physical components is always a way to improve the ruggedness and the the longevity of any type of machine. So here, if you can get rid of those gears, you can get rid of the chain, you can remove a lot of that hassle. On the other hand, though, there are some efficiency downsides here, right? Because a chain is uh, in like the high 90s of percent efficiency. A belt is slightly less efficient uh, right off the shelf, but it's uh, more efficient than chains over the lifetime. But here, when you're talking about having to convert mechanical energy at the pedals to electrical energy, potentially into chemical energy uh, in a battery, and then back into a motor in the rear wheel, there are a lot of steps to lose a little bit of energy along the way, and that drops overall efficiency. So you might be pedaling a tiny bit harder than you'd be used to to get the same amount of power to the rear wheels. To me, though, one of the biggest advantages of this technology is that it really opens up the door for interesting bike designs, especially sort of -of out-of-the-box designs. And an area that really applies is cargo bikes, Because for a lot of these, uh, especially the big cargo bikes for deliveries where you've got that big cargo box on back, generally that box is up pretty high because you have to have a chain run going from the front of the bike all the way to the rear wheels. But if you remove any chain or mechanical connection to the wheels at all, you can have that cargo much lower on the bike and it just opens the door to all these other possibilities. I know Seth and I were talking about this and Seth, I think one of your uh, ideas here was that you could do some really interesting recumbent designs too, right? Yeah. Those recumbent bikes have like that, you know, the 
the front sprocket and pedals like way up in the front. Then they have to kind of run a chain down below. Like then there's like usually another uh, sprocket set and then the chain goes to the rear wheels. Well, you would just need a very small uh, electric, you know, basically a generator is a motor backwards. You just need a, a motor in the front and you could just, you know, pedal that like crazy. It would be more aerodynamic, less complicated. You could probably get the bike, uh, you know, the bike seat to be lower because you don't have to have a chain going underneath it but presents a lot of advantages. And, you know, like, you know, we're, we're talking about a loss of efficiency of like 20 to 30%. Does that sound right? Yeah. I think it was closer to like 20%, the, the lower end of your range there. Yeah. So around 20% loss, but if you're, if you get to pedal at your preferred cadence and resistance, um, that that's going to up your efficiency anyway. Like it's going to be an easier, uh, um, trip and then you know obviously uh the electric motor in the back is going to kind of determine um you know how fast you're going and you can kind of adjust that based on speed i mean i know a lot of these have this like uh, uh phantom pedal assist where your your bike your pedal speed determines the motor electricity so even though it's not a direct uh you know there's not a just a wire going from the the pedal generator to the motor um, but it's kind of like the, the pedal speed is the throttle, but I mean, I don't know. There's, there's lots of things you can do here. It's a really like an interesting, uh, situation. Um, we've always, you know, like maybe there could even be like a front, you know, you're laying on your belly and pedaling, or there's a lot of uh, opportunity here to make the whole biking thing more aerodynamic. Um, we've also talked about, uh, the pebble, uh, the pebble and what's the other one? Uh, the elf. The Elf and Pebble are like these little velo mobiles, um, but they, they again, they have to have the chains going to the rear wheels. Well, you could have a totally contained inside the uh, you know, cabin, I guess, um, bike pedals, and then just run the wires outside to the motors in the rear or in the front, if whatever. But um, it just presents a lot of opportunities that, you know, like initially when you hear like, Oh, you're losing 20% of your power, uh, through, you know, through the turning to, to electric and then back to mechanical, that sounds like a big deal. But when you think about all the benefits, I think it almost outweighs it or, or maybe even, uh, you know, break even for sure. Um, and then, you know, in the world of electric bikes, like you've got a huge battery, like, you know, you're not too worried about, that little 20% of efficiency of your 250 watt output when you have, you know, a kilowatt sitting uh, in the back wheels. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was a big argument against e-bikes when they first came out, like, Oh, you know, they're 20% heavier. That's all going to, you know, go down as a uh, inefficiency. Like, all right, fine. But I've got a whole power plant with me. So I'm not super worried about it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the advantages are so much more than the disadvantages here. Um, that's kind of my big takeaway. Uh, we would love to see more bikes like this. I think the conversation got started with this uh, Instagram thing we saw uh, from this company that's doing, I think it's a French company. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, Six Life. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, super cool. We're going to keep an eye on the, that uh, world. Uh, it's certainly super inter interesting to us. Uh, moving on, uh, we've got Rad Power Bikes, and they are giving up on the e-bike, the European e-bike market, and focusing on the U.S. and I would assume probably still Canada 
instead? Yeah. So uh, basically the North American market, um, North America didn't fit real well into the headline, but um, the majority of their market is in the U.S. and they uh, do have a, a Canadian presence and they did have a European presence or they still do until the end of this year. Um, Europe was always a smaller portion of their operations. I think less than 10% of their team is in Europe, but it seems like for whatever reason, um, they don't see that as a sustainable part of their business. And so they're going to be pulling out of Europe. Um, the, the reason that they gave was that they wanted to be able to better focus on the North American market. Um, I mean, you know, we can take them at their word or we can try and read into that a little bit. It seems to me like if something is working well, you don't pull out. And so I have to wonder how successful the European operation was. Now, they were competing against, obviously, a lot of nicer bikes in Europe. These more um, higher end, high dollar bikes are more common than in the U.S., where in Europe, many people are, are using e-bikes instead of a car. Whereas in the U.S., even though that does happen, or I should say in North America, even though it happens, most e-bike customers are getting an e-bike as an, you know, also ride type of vehicle, not something that they're using instead of a car. And in that case, they're going to be spending a lot less money when they don't have all this extra, you know, money they just saved by not buying a a $40,000 electric car. So I I get that, you know, Rad was probably uh, facing off against companies that offered much better uh, e-bikes, much higher end components, things that are designed to last for years and years. Whereas Rad Power Bikes, while they're, you know, very good bikes, they're not built to that level of quality. You know, they're not going to compete against like a, um, a gazelle or, you know, definitely not a recent bowler, an urban arrow, those types of, you know, really high end um, everyday use kind of bikes. And so to me, it seems like um, if, you know, the, the riding was on the wall for a while, then this has been the last straw and it's going to help, you know, rad power bikes kind of tighten up their U S operations, which themselves have been, Uh, facing a bit of an uphill battle. It's, you know, Rad obviously is one of the largest e-bike companies in North America, but they've had some struggles in the last year, year and a half. They've gone through multiple rounds of layoffs. They're facing at least two uh, fairly high profile uh, lawsuits, I believe, one related to a fire incident and one related to um, uh, an unfortunate uh, death of uh, an underage rider who was using uh, one of the electric bikes. And so, you know, they've, which, you know, obviously can happen to anybody, but, you know, there's been a lot of um, sort of uh, bumps along the road in the last year or so for Rad. So I think in this case, it was probably with everything going on, they needed to tighten up operations and really focus on their major market, which of course is North America. Um, I mean, do you think that's uh, a fair take, Seth, or was there anything else there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's exactly right, in my opinion. I, I think um, the European market for Rad was a little bit tough because they were kind of in no man's land where, you know, they cost more than a, uh, you know, like a, a Chinese dropship bike. Um, but, you know, they, they the brand hasn't been differentiated much um, from those those lower cost bikes. And then in Europe, more more people uh, kind of go for the high end um, name brand bike shop type bikes, like you like you said, recent Mueller. Um, you know, recent until recently, we could have said uh, uh, Van Moof as well, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, and and I think that it's indicative of the, the larger bike market right now is is feeling a little bit of a squeeze. Um, 
we talked to uh, Upway, a, a secondhand uh, bike seller recently, and they, they were kind of saying, yeah, uh, the bike companies got that pandemic uh, bump and they were, they, 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 uh, they haven't really come down from that high, even though they should have uh, kind of slowed operations a, lo- a long time ago. So um, it's kind of hitting the bike industry hard. It's good to see Rad being proactive instead of uh, having, you know, having to deal with creditors. They're saying, all right, we're going to cut costs here and kind of focus on our core core strength, um, which I think is smart. Like, uh, you know, we've, we've been in the EU market. We've seen a bunch of uh, bikes there. Um, Rad is a small player there, whereas in the U.S. they're a big player. Um, so I think it's a, it's a smart move. Um, you know, it's it's like we'd love to see uh, U.S. brands in Europe, but um, you know, there's there's still Track and a bunch of others that uh, will be there. So absolutely. All right, uh, moving on. Let's see. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Dutch e-bike maker company Van Moof makes last dish effort to avoid bankruptcy. And then um, we've gotten some late breaking news uh, since then. So we can talk about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, th- this one's really unfortunate because Van Moof, which is seen as sort of a darling of the, the e-bike industry, has has come under some fairly tough financial problems and about a week ago, they stopped sales on their website and they said that, you know, it was just to catch up with demand, though that sounded a bit fishy at the time. And just a couple of days ago, we learned that the company actually received uh, approval from a Dutch court to basically postpone payment of their debts, which is uh, basically a, um, a court created system in the Netherlands that is a step before bankruptcy. It's really created to help companies avoid going bankrupt in that they basically get sort of a stay of execution so that they can, you know, hopefully find that 11th hour funding and get back on their feet. In practice, this often is kind of the first step of a bankruptcy, unfortunately, because at this point, it's often hard to find that funding because, you know, it just it doesn't look that good anymore to investors. Uh, even though VanMove has a lot of IP, you know, they've, they've developed uh, so much of their e-bikes that are unique. They're a very tech forward company. So this isn't a case of, you know, a white labeling e-bike company that just doesn't have the funds to buy more bikes. So there's a lot of value in Van Moof as the brand, but unfortunately it does not look good for their future because they've entered into this sort of pre-bankruptcy stage. Um, They do have uh, several months now, I believe, to hopefully find that funding. So this is not, you know, saying Van Moof is dead, they're done, that sort of thing. The company has not reached that point. But based on, um, you know, other companies that have reached this stage, it doesn't look good for the company. And it, you know, it raises a lot of questions, especially for these high tech bikes that um, often are very much paired with their smartphone applications. Like with the Van Moose bikes, to turn on the bike itself, you either need the smartphone app or a code generated by the app. And so if the company were to go out of business and the app stops being supported and is removed from app stores, then there's a question of, you know, will com- uh, will customers be able to unlock their bikes? And uh, Seth, I think you were alluding to uh, Cowboy came up with an interesting solution there, right? Yeah, um, and we actually covered this on uh, 9 to 5 Mac because of the, the whole, like, app. Like, uh, you can, can you actually, um, 
you know, expect companies uh, that um, stop making uh, their hardware or go out of business to keep up with uh, their their stuff. So um, it's 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 a little bit like uh, Boosted. Uh, Boosted, uh, if for those who don't remember, was a skateboard, and and they were getting into the scooter market. And uh, they had an app where you could kind of adjust the the settings on your skateboard, but um, they lost their funding. And, you know, because of that, like they didn't pay their Apple store, you know, $99 a year thing. And the, cause basically like they just shut down, like everybody went home, nobody logged in, everything was gone. Um, and so the, the app disappeared from the app store, but if you have a, you know, a boosted skateboard and you want to kind of adjust the settings on it, you need the app. So, you know, if your phone dies, you can't re-download the app. So we're kind of looking at a similar situation here. Um, and it's funny because Cowboy, uh, which is a competitor and kind of actually, I would say a follower of design follower. I mean, Cowboy does their own stuff. They're Belgian. Uh, they're located next door uh, country-wise, but um some of their new bikes looked a little bit like Van Moof, which I think Van Moof, you know, was a leader. And I mean, they, they came up with the idea of making the TV box so that uh, shippers don't crush stuff. Um, their designs are really nice. Um, and they've done a lot of, I would almost say over-engineering the, uh, the bikes. So um, anyway, back to the, uh, what Cowboys done, they created a bikey app Um which, uh, which is weird because like, how do they know to do this so quickly? Like, how can they, it's almost like they were kind of planning something like this for a while. I'm sure they have insights into the market that we don't. Right. Yeah. So, um, that, you know, if Van Moof just disappears and there's no way to get your, uh, code off your bike, this bikey app will, uh, continue to unlock their bikes. Um, so there will, it will still, it won't be possible for new uh, users to activate, uh, the bikey app or, uh, activate the, the van move bike. But, um, you know, I saw on Reddit, people are taking apart their van move bikes and putting Arduino chips in there and stuff. Like it's, (laughs) it's pretty like, it almost seems like if you're going to do something like this, and I mean, this goes for like car makers too. Like if, if uh, Lucid or Rivian or Tesla went out of business, you'd be kind of screwed with their, their whole car system. It's almost like you should create a foundation uh, that, you know, exists outside of the company to kind of, you know, like in case this company goes dead, this foundation, which we've funded and has an endowment, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be crazy but like a couple million bucks to keep like a couple people employed to you know keep paying the apple store bills and keep keep the lights on basically for the app um you know for a a period of 10 years or whatever would be it'd be a worthy spend in my opinion so i don't know i i think uh it's just kind of a a, something to look out for i do want to say like possibly the worst part of this is that we're not ever going to see the van move. Well, hopefully, hopefully they get some funding. Um, and, and we speculated like, Hey, this would be a great buy for Apple. They've got great technology. They're, they're using Apple's, uh, find my stuff. They, they're very Apple-y, um, 
if they wanted to get into it. We have zero evidence of that. There's nothing happening uh, that we know of, but uh, it would be super cool if the Van Move 5 could actually come to fruition. And that that's a, what, 30 mile per hour? Uh, yeah, mo- they, they mo- said either 31 or 35, depending which press release you uh you Gotcha. Read. Yeah, so uh, that would be super cool. Um, I, I'm bummed that this is in jeopardy and uh, we might not ever see it. I would, if like Tease Carlier or one of the other founders of Van Move can just take this to to Cowboy or or some other bike manufacturer and say, make this, I think it would be a big hit. Um, that I mean, it's something for me, like it's just perfect, perfect size, perfect speed um, for, for my uses. So it obviously wouldn't be legal or it'd be a, what a Pedelec in, in Europe. Yeah. But well, we can dream. Yep. We can dream. That's basically it. All right. Um, any more on van move? What do you, what do you think? How do you think this ends? Um, un- unfortunately I, I don't see a, uh, a happy ending to this story. You know, maybe they get bought out and someone, you know, with deep enough pockets can save them, but it, it doesn't look good to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously Cowboys, uh, up in their grill a little bit, uh, <laughs> with the app, uh, but they're not doing amazingly financially either. I think they're still losing money, but I think they're doing a little bit better. And speaking of that, uh, Cowboy, e-bike maker Cowboy goes Dutch with new comfort electric bike model that looks a little bit like a van move. Yeah, you wouldn't be wrong to say that there's some definite inspiration going on. And there there has been for years, you know, at Cowboy. Um, Like you said, they're right across the border and their bikes do look fairly van movian. Though the interesting thing is where van moose bikes have often been, despite being a Dutch company, they've often been a little more, you know, forward leaning commuter messenger style bikes um we're seeing now that the new cowboy cruiser is actually kind of dutchy in that it's you know a little more laid back a little bit curved bars more of an upright seating position and the company says this is basically in response to what uh what they've been hearing from their customers it doesn't surprise me because this is my favorite type of bike you know a little more upright a little more comfortable to ride kind of thing and so um, that's what their newest model is now, it's still going to be, you know, a typical Euro bike. It's not going to be super fast, something like 25 kilometers an hour, or 15 miles per hour. But at least they're really focusing on more of the comfort style ride with this Dutch inspired design, as opposed to what has been popular with these, uh, you know, very forward commuter road style bikes. And so I'm certainly excited to see this. Um, it's it's even more interesting now that we know about Van Moof's uh, most recent troubles because it does sort of step into that similar market for someone who wants a little more of a tech forward bike, something that looks a little bit, you know, more refined, like you were saying, kind of Apple-y. I think these look, you know, a little more like an Apple product than something like a Rad Power bike or electric or, you know, a Venton or any of the typical direct-to-consumer bikes. These just look like more design thought went into them. And so I think, you know, Cowboy does stand to inherit a lot of the Van Moofian type customers, though I do wonder if some of the people who bought a van move are going to be kind of once bitten, twice shy and worried about hopping in bed with, a, you know, another e-bike company that does something fairly custom as opposed to going with either a more established, you know, decades old bike brand or something that's more of a, 
you know, direct to consumer Asian bike that you can work on and, you know, swap out a battery for an eBay battery if you needed to. Yeah. Uh, Dutchy, not to be confused with douchey, uh, or, <laughs> uh, but yeah, th- I, I agree. Uh, this is a very Van Muthian, uh, looking, feeling bike, uh, which is not a bad thing at all. And, you know, we're not, we're not implying that like cowboy is breaking any laws or trademarks or copyrights. We're not implying that they aren't either, but, uh, you know, that's for other people to, to decide. Um, and of course, like the, the downside here is that you've got a 250 watt motor, which is fine for flat, uh, uh, you know, Dutch, I guess Belgium, Belgium doesn't have a lot of hills either, but, um, you know, in the more hilly areas, the uh, higher power bikes are kind of appreciated and obviously getting to speeds, um, over 25 kilometers per hour, which is like what, 17 miles per hour. Uh, uh yeah, I think 15 and a half. Oh yeah. 15 and a half. So we like the higher speeds a little bit here. We like the class three, 28 miles per hour. So, um, and, and these bikes can get up there. Uh, it just requires a lot of, uh, leg power as well. So, um, love the look of the bikes. Uh, and, you know, hope, hopefully one or both of these companies, uh, make it to the other side of this, like, uh, the come down from the, the pandemic. All right. Um, before we get into our next story, uh, I'm going to, we're going to talk about uh, Pedigo a little bit real quick. Uh, this week's episode is sponsored by Pedigo Electric Bikes, America's number one electric bike retailer. Pedigo believes in making e-bikes easy to use and incredibly fun to ride. That's why they offer an extensive selection of over 20 e-bike models, each with endless customization options. No matter your style or preferences, Pedigo has the perfect bike for you. That includes the Avenue the company's newest model designed with a classic European look paired with modern features. It has a 500-watt motor, a 48-volt battery, and a range of up to 56 miles on a single charge, making it perfect for commuting or leisurely rides around town. The Avenue comes in both a 28-inch classic and step-through frame and a smaller 26-inch step-through frame, making it accessible for any rider. With over 220-plus stores across the country staffed with knowledgeable local experts and dedicated service technicians, Pedigo ensures that you receive personalized attention and support every step of the way. Pedigo also offers a five-year warranty on all e-bikes, which is among the longest on, on the market. And like, frankly, I think the longest that I know of. <laughs> yeah. uh, in July, Pedigo is running an exclusive promotion for electric listeners. You can save up to $500 on their e-bikes, including the newest bike, the Avenue. You can visit pedigo.com slash electric to get access now or hit the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Pedigo for sponsoring. All right. Uh, moving forward, uh, let's take a closer look at the new turn HSD cargo electric bike and what makes it so strong. So uh, the turn HSD, I got a chance to check this one out at Eurobike and um, even better. I was able to check it out with Josh Hahn, who is the founder and um, team captain is his title at turn. It's basically CEO, but I think they like the more like fun sounding team captain title. Um, and so he was telling me all about uh, the new bike. 
Now, a lot of it is going to be similar. The HSD um, used to be sort of the more entry-level uh, small format cargo bike at turn. But since it was first unveiled back in like 2019, I want to say, they've come out with several um, even more affordable models like the Quick Haul, the um, BYD, I think it's called. And so they've got a few more, um, you know, budget-friendly models. And so when they redid the HSD, they were able to bring it up market a little more since they didn't need to have it be that, you know, entry-level model. And so that means it's got the newest Bosch motors. Um, it has upgraded weight capacity. I think it's up to uh, f- it's either 400 or uh, slightly over 400 pounds of capacity, which frankly is just crazy when you think about it, because that doesn't mean that the bike can just support, you know, 400 pounds of load on it. That means that it can be going full speed and hit potholes with 400 pounds of load on it, or, you know, slam on the brakes with 400 pounds or 180 kilos of load on it. So that was one of the things I really learned about was just how much goes into developing these bikes to withstand those kinds of loads. And what Josh explained is that unfortunately there are a lot of e-bikes out there now that have basically said, oh, well, you know, turn says 400 pounds capacity. We need to say it also. But, uh, you know, a lot of these cheap bikes simply are not built to support that kind of load. And we've seen others that have, you know, literally started breaking in half after a few months of, of riding with heavier riders and heavier loads on them. And so what uh, turn has had to do is actually, um, you know, develop new testing standards and methods because a lot of the e-bike testing methods don't even go up to 400 pounds. You know, a lot of them stop at 250, 300, 350 pounds. So they've had to work with uh, some German labs for even higher uh, weight testing on these bikes. And they've even helped uh, a lot of their component makers improve their products because, you know, turn can only build their bikes to be so strong, but if the fork breaks, you know, before the, the turn bike, then it doesn't matter how strong the, the bike frame is. So they've actually uh, found like issues with, for example, the, the fork from their fork supplier um, where their, their supplier wasn't heat treating it correctly. So it wasn't holding up to as much weight as it could. And so they went back and they were like, listen, you need to run your ovens for like this long now because we've made you use even thicker metal tubes on your fork. And so they've gone through such extreme steps to improve the, um, you know, the strength and the weight capacity of not just their bike, but also the components from the suppliers that they buy parts from. And so it's kind of amazing the attention to detail that they put into this thing to get, you know, such a strong bike like this, even considering that it, it fits within the normal footprint of, you know, a typical bike. This isn't a massive cargo bike. So that was, you know, a, a really cool experience to not just see this new bike up close, but to really learn about what goes into the design and how that it's not only capable of supporting 400 pounds, but how they can be so confident in that, even when other companies might be fudging the numbers a bit. You've had some experience on turn bikes, right, Seth? Yeah, I love them. Um, you know, there's always a, sh- a sticker shock when uh, I think people are looking at uh, turn bikes. They're usually, I think, what does this one start at? 4,000? Yeah, I think it's like 4,500. Yeah, not, not cheap. Yeah, so there's that sticker shock. But, like, there's just, like, if you get, I mean, you know, no offense to Rad or, or any of the other um, kind of, you know, cargo bikes, like, the quality is just not like a turn bike is like the kind of bike that it just works. It's going to work for years and years. Like it's not, it's, it's just, you know, it's solid. Like all the components, including the Bosch drivetrain, are just, you know, they're just going to work and they're, they're quite strong. So, you know, if you do have the the money to spend, you, if you do spend a lot of time on your bike, uh, turns make a lot of sense. Um, 
you know, I, I always like when we're, we're at a bike show, I always like, oh, this is why they can charge so much for the bikes. Um, when I'm riding one around, it just feels like way more solid, way stiffer. Um, and then, you know, we always do our fun, uh, you know, two of us on a bike thing. Um, <laughs> that, that video uh, had two people on a bike. You know, I just like, I don't know if I would feel as safe, um, you know, electric uh, as uh, a rear seat, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would feel as safe. Uh, you know, it's it's fun and games at a, a bike show, but, you know, like on a day-to-day basis, I don't know if I would feel as safe with my wife on the back or whatever. I would I would just feel less confident in the uh, in the bike not... You know, I don't, you know, I don't think it would fall apart necessarily, but I think, you know, there would be some sort of like a weld popping out or, or like the tire not, you know, not being able to uh, withstand, you know, huge bumps or whatever. So I don't know. I just think uh, turn like probably shouldn't try to go down market too much. And I'm kind of glad the HSD is kind of uh, beefing up its, its whole situation and and the price i guess is uh for 42.99 um i think that's i think that's you know a good price to pay for something this this high quality yeah and that's an an interesting point you raised because like you know for some of these other bikes like say the the electric uh xp 3.0 that does come with a rear seat um that i think the rack is rated for something like 150 pounds so like, yeah, you know, when you first take it out of the box in that first week or month, like it's probably going to be fine. But if you use that day to day, then how confident can you be a year from now or three years from now that the frame is still as strong and is still going to take the weight of having your wife on the back kind of thing? And I think that's sort of one of the differences you get when you pay for a bike like a turn that, that goes through those significant long term testing. Yeah. And we should probably note that both of our wives are in great physical shape and we're not trying to say anything about uh the weight of our wives moving forward yes, yes dear <laughs> if she hears that uh bmw officially launches its low cost by bmw standards light electric motorcycle this one is interesting because we saw the early prototype for this a couple of years ago at the uh, iaa mobility show and back then it was kind of like a crazy looking design it was like oh yeah bmw being all futuristic and stuff uh, you know, I had a skateboard as the foot pegs and, you know, we thought it was fun and artsy, but here we are two years later and they actually brought it out for sale. So, you know, you got to give them credit for that. It's an interesting design because it comes sort of somewhere in between the motorcycle and the scooter category. We're talking, um, you know, modest power. I think it's something like 11 kilowatts. The speed is 59 miles per hour, um, just shy of hundred kilometers per hour. So, you know, it's not, um, it's not like a weak little scooter, but it's also not going to rival a much larger motorcycle. And that seems to be the target that, that they're looking at, sort of that in-between. You know, they're targeting urban riders. This is very much like a commuter-type motorbike, something that you would use to get around town. You know, like you could be cruising most of L.A. in this thing, and it would fit right in. This obviously isn't something you'd take to the track. It's not for touring or long-distance riding. But it seems like BMW is really focusing on that sort of like cool, young urban market as opposed to um, some of their electric scooters that like, you know, the Sea um, Evolution scooter in the past, it was a little more utility based. It was, you know, it was interesting, but it wasn't really, uh, it didn't have that cool factor. And it seems like, you know, BMW is really stepping up 
that uh, design sort of ethos, I would say, targeting that younger, um, more um, perhaps slightly more affluent crowd, because obviously this is BMW, this is not a budget bike, but it's something like, I think it's $7,800, something like that. You know, it's fairly low cost for what a BMW motorcycle could be. So to me, it's it's interesting. Ah, oh, there it is, seventy five ninety nine. So you know, again, for a BMW, that's actually a pretty good price for a you know a BMW motorcycle. So at uh, just shy of sixty miles per hour, I could see this as being a pretty competitive product. If you compare that to something like uh, the Saunders Metacycle, yeah, it's a bit more expensive, but you're getting like nationwide dealership support. Um, you're getting it from a company that you don't have to worry about if they're going to be there in another month or two. Um, as we've also seen, you know, just this episode in the e-bike industry is also a concern. So there there are some upsides to this, even though it's a bit more expensive than some of the other commuter motorcycles out there. The one downside here to me is that the battery capacity is pretty low. It's 3.9 kilowatt hours, I believe, in a pair of removable batteries. So it's approximately similar to something like, um, you know, my GoGro scooters uh, is fairly similar, though with the higher power motor here. You're going to go through that uh, that uh, those two batteries rather pretty quickly if you're putting it in higher power mode. So, to me, I'd be a bit worried about using this, uh, you know, in its sort of fun mode because it's just going to drain those batteries so quickly. But from the design, from the performance, otherwise, I'm pretty impressed with it. What do you think, Seth? Looks great. Um, really glad they actually made this thing. Um, I, I think at one point they were saying they could make you know hundreds of thousands of these or millions of these. It could be a, a big seller but uh this one doesn't look like it's mass market um you did mention like the uh the low range um also it seems kind of heavy 291 pounds or 132 kilograms um for this bike seems to put it more in the motorcycle area than the uh the scooter and i know um that's gonna take a uh hit of the range as well Um, Yeah, it's not it's not lightweight. I mean, when you get into this level, you know, there's a lot more uh, safety equipment, you know, the suspension, the brakes, the frame, everything's a lot more robust. So that weight figure goes up quickly. Yeah, um, I still think this is going to be kind of a cool thing that to have. It's like, like, I would love to to ride one. Are you going to need a motorcycle license for this one? Yeah, almost certainly. Uh, it varies state to state, but I think, you know, the, the highest limits in a few states are something like 40 miles an hour where you can get away with like a moped situation. So I don't see anywhere in the U.S. that you would be able to ride this without a, a motorcycle license, unfortunately. Do you so think BMW, Perhaps fortunately. Do you think BMW would uh, govern this at 40 to keep it? I mean, I, I guess it depends on the state, right? And that would be. Yeah. Thing. I mean, the most common um, sort of state level uh, speed limit for not needing a motorcycle license is 30. So I think that's where they would have to put it, you know, like California, I think Florida as well. Um, several states have, have 30 miles an hour as their sort of moped limit. Right. But at that point, I mean, this thing is so, um, you know, o- like neutered. That, yeah. Um, and so you mentioned there's two batteries. Um, are they easy to remove? Is it kind of like a go-go situation? Maybe you could have the, for extra range, you could buy two extra batteries or something and put them on a thing in the back or something. Yeah. Unfortunately they haven't really shown off the batteries so well. So, uh, it's hard to say, you know, if that's sort of like the, the Saunders Metacycle where they say removable, but you got to get in there with like a few tools and, and, you know, squat on the ground for a few minutes, or if it's just like a, take them out like a go-go like you said. 
Yeah, uh, that'll be interesting to see. So uh, when are we going to see these in in their physical form? Um, We should note that I think we're going to IAA again this year in uh, September. So maybe that's that's a good first first look venue. Yeah, I don't think these will be out until um, either the end of this year or early next year. But I don't think I saw an exact date yet. Okay. Well... We'll we'll pressure BMW to give us a look at uh, EAA in uh, Munich in September. So hopefully we'll have one at that point. Yeah, this is one to keep an eye on. For sure. All right. And last but not least, the supercarving electric skateboard claims to be the closest thing to snowboarding yet. My my, uh, youngest son is already super excited. Yeah, this is an, uh, another sort of interesting, a bit wild product. This is called the TrackPod. Um, it's a, a skateboard that's actually been out for a while, but they've just gone electric. And so you can now get this with either one or two hub motors in the wheels. And the design is interesting because it rides less like a skateboard and more like a snowboard or a surfboard, at least they say. Seth, you would be better at judging whether this actually rides like <laughs> But I think the idea is that because it doesn't use traditional skateboard trucks, instead it's got these like fold out super loose trucks, it just carves in a much more extreme way. So you can really lean real hard into those turns, unlike a conventional skateboard or longboard, which is limited by how much flex you have in the trucks. And even longboards that would have like, you know, double kingpin trucks to give even more flex, this just carves even more extremely because of those weird fold-out trucks, which I'm not even sure you can call those trucks anymore. They're just like extended arms that hold on to the wheels. And so you've got just like, it's like you're riding around on a wet noodle is what it looks like. Uh, I'm excited to see either you or your son taking this thing out on a spin, Seth. Yeah, I, I uh, so we, we have the, the long boards and with the loose trucks and we can kind of get some action like what they're showing. Um, we also have like a, this thing called the freeboard, which um, is a, or maybe it's called the summer. There's a summer board and a freeboard, and one is electric and one is uh, just um, old fashioned uh, kicking. Um, my son uh, loves it, but obviously not as much as snowboarding. <laughs> so something like this might be might be an interesting uh, thing to try out. Um, and and I, I agree, like the uh the trucks there are super interesting. And I wonder <clears throat> I wonder how those are, are gonna affect the ride. In addition, um I noticed that the wheels are pretty tready in the video, but um like compared like on this image right here, if you're watching, um it seems kind of smooth, but here it's um kind of tready. So I wonder if that's gonna play a big role. Um Longboards typically have a little bit uh, stickier of wheels than a, you know, like a, a park skateboard. Um, but these like kind of take it to the next level where you, you'd almost expect this to be a little bit off road or something. So yeah, those, those do look kind of aggressive. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of things to check out here. This is going to be one of those things where like the proof is going to be riding it. Um, I, 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 uh, I just have to, spend some time thinking about how, how this would kind of ride, like what kind of spring action is in these things or, or is all the spring going to be in your ankles? Um, and then, you know, the weight of the battery, how's, how does that work? But, um, we're excited to try one, uh, whenever those become available, there aren't 
Kickstarter now. Price is 490 US, which seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these these generally go up in price after these uh, initial crowdfunding periods are over. I think this one said that the final price would be something like 750. And uh, just to note, we generally don't cover Kickstarters or Indiegogo's basically crowdfunding campaigns, uh, with the exception of when we either get to test the product first or if the company has already delivered products before. So we know they're not a fly by night. And in this case, Trackpod's been around since I think 2020, if I'm not mistaken. So they've got about three years of operation. So while we're not saying that this is a sure bet, you know, anytime you do crowdfunding, there's some risk there. At least in this case, the company has proven that they've, you know, delivered boards before and they've even shown off that they have inventory ready for uh, to complete production here. So, um, you know, consider that there is some risk to this. We didn't tell you to go and buy this. But it does it does look interesting for me, you know, when I ride like uh, electric surfboards and probably I'm imagining from your experience with uh, snowboards, having a somewhat softer surface to land in snow or water makes it easier to push really hard in the turns with this. I don't know, carving super hard over like just asphalt. uh, That would worry me a bit. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, like if, if you do end up sliding a little bit, that's that's instant road rash. Yeah, so uh, it's an interesting concept. I don't know how I'd feel carving super hard with it, though. Yep. Uh, that's why we leave it for the kids. <laughs> yeah, they're young and flexible. Yeah. They spring back. Yep, they spring back really quickly. All right, let's get to uh, some of the comments here. Let me make this go away. All right. Uh, so, Stefan Frokjar. <clears throat> when we were talking about the, uh, the I guess, pedal by wire yeah. stuff, the non-chain system is genius for multi-rider bikes. It, is that supposed to be genius? Or... I think so. And also, I wonder okay. if he means like with a few passengers or like a tandem <clears throat> where you have two or three people pedaling. Right. Yeah, or like those rickshaws. Uh, TLL, he's not a rad bike fan, but great to see folks riding. Uh, yeah, when we were talking about rad leaving the European market, um, somebody else down in the comments said that, uh, if you are in Europe, rad has some great deals going on. Yeah. They're probably clearing out their inventory. Interesting. Uh, Maybe we should see if there's anything left for us, uh, uh, in September when we're, we're over there. Um, Moving on, uh, can't wait for the insight on Van Moof, uh, which we talked about. Will the 28 mile per hour ride happen? I think that was the five that he's referring to. Right. And is, yeah. is there a patent cash out there to prop up a company sale value? Um, it's an interesting point. Yeah, there's some serious value in all their IP. I would guess so, but at the same time, they haven't been super aggressive in enforcing their design stuff. Um, so you have to wonder like how strong their patent portfolio is. Yeah. The, some of that design I think is harder to protect against than, you know, things like the kick lock and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, as consumers and as people writing and, and making videos about bikes, like Van Roof has been just so unique. So like, you know, pushing the, the industry forward, pushing, you know, bike manufacturing and, and bikes forward, like, we want to see something coming out of this and not like the, the end to boost. It was like some store buying the brand and not really keeping up with the products. 
Um, we're really hoping that, uh, you know, something comes out of it, whether it's, you know, cowboy or some more funding or whatever. Uh, hopefully they can keep the lights on. Um, have we ever talked about the bike bans in China and the push to get everyone in cars? I'm not familiar with bike bans in China. Yeah. I feel like, uh, that would have been on the, uh, the F cars Reddit, uh, group that we're both a part of surprised. Uh, I haven't heard of that. Um, software defined vehicles are scary. The bike industry and the auto industry. Yeah. We mentioned a little bit about how not only are we talking bikes here, but like there's a lot of cars out there that may not have, uh, uh, features and, and it's scary to have uh, the companies running the, the software there. Um, and of course, that's kind of flows into the right to repair world. Uh, would software far, fall into the parts category domain products for six years? Any of the class three for urban US, especially below the Mason Dixon line? That's a great point. And one of the things I bring up often is like, I feel much safer in in my particular area with bikes that go 30 miles per hour um, or close to it, you know, in the case of a 28 mile per hour uh, bike, because I can ride with traffic versus traffic having to go around me. Um, I don't think that's really talked about much, but I know that um, our readers often bring it up. Um, do you feel safer Micah in, in Florida or in uh, Tel Aviv uh, with a faster bike or a bike that can go faster or, is that kind of making the bike more dangerous? Oh, absolutely. I, I feel safer on it. You know, anytime you can keep up with traffic instead of being passed is, you know, a big improvement. And so, you know, even though it would sound counterintuitive to some people, I think higher speeds are, are a big difference. And it's funny because in Florida, a lot of the roads that I ride in the bike lane on are 45 mile an hour roads. So when I'm going 28 or 30, I feel like a European on a 15 mile an hour right. e-bike. Unless you have that 45 mile per hour, uh, little guy what was that thing called uh the, the roadrunner pro i think yeah that's hilarious um nico d says have a look at the moustache uh another european uh, bike company uh making high-end bikes um and then he continues uh i'm in europe i just found out about the charge map and e-bike recharge stations um, i'll have to look into that i'm not familiar with that yeah, we'll have to have to check that out. It sounds like uh, some public infrastructure going up for charging e-bikes, which would be great, obviously. All right. We'll dig into that for next time. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. It's been great having you. And uh, we'll see you guys back here next time on the next Wheelie podcast. <laughs>